hello and welcome to the Puglisi Associates Podcast. I'm Rocco Puglisi, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Senator Pat Brown, Senate Appropriations Chairman. Welcome, Pat. Good to have you here today. Thanks, Rocco. Good to be here. Pat, we've known each other for a long time. For the sake of our listeners, however, can you share a bit about yourself? For instance, how you got into politics and why? The start of it for me was um, having a lot of experience in in college and, and student government. I guess it was like my first time I actually got interested in the exchange of ideas that politics exists. I've always liked the, the variety that's associated with it, and also the fact you're always directly dealing with people. Um, and so I always had an interest if it if it came in uh, at a point in time where it was available to me to run for office. Um, 94 is when it uh, became available to me. Um, we were both very close to Congressman Dent, and Charlie came to me about an open seat in Allentown at the time, and I decided that I was a public accounting as a tax manager at the time, decided to run. And 23 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> uh, but I, I find that uh, serving in this capacity allows you to really have an impact on people's lives, and that's what's really uh, been compelling for me, to be doing this for 23 years. That's the most motivating factor. It's great. Are you pleased with the difference you have been able to make in your district and in Pennsylvania overall? Uh, I believe we've had an opportunity to be involved in some significant things that have had some impact as it relates to economic development initiatives, um, noticing the challenges of the medium-sized city in Pennsylvania and trying to make a difference there uh, with resources from state government. Knowing that one of the the most significant things the state government is involved in this is a constitutional matter is the educating of our children, making sure our policies as it relates to funding are effective and appropriate. Uh, we've done a lot of work in that regard. And that only not only affects a medium-sized urban school district, which has tremendous challenges, but it also is something that needs to benefit the suburban rural and larger cities. And we've been involved in a lot of financial uh, work as ways to formulas that have uh, been benefits there. And as appropriations chair, now it's trying to, trying to structure uh, financial documents that not only affect the current realities, but also into the future, how we're taking care of the structure of our finances so they're properly placed for our children. So um, I be- I've been fortunate that I think I've been involved in things that have had an impact. Thank you. Besides being Senate appropriations chair, you are also on three Senate committees, education, finance, and health and human services. Plus, you are a member of the Senate Majority Policy Committee. You are also co-chair of the Early Childhood Education Caucus, the Legislative Arts and Culture Caucus, and the Pennsylvania Public School Building Construction and Reconstruction Advisory Committee. Not to forget that you are also a member of the Board of the Public School Employees Retirement System, the Pennsylvania Minority Business Development Authority, Pennsylvania Commission on Crime and Delinquency, and the Legislative Audit Advisory Committee. That being said, it's clear that you work tirelessly for the citizens of Pennsylvania. How do you personally manage all that you take on? Um, I think over time I've been able to take more responsibility. It's sort of like it's easier to do things as a senior in college as opposed to a freshman in college. You're able to manage your, your time better and be able to be involved in a lot of things because you understand the issues better. But I'm someone who really enjoys the diversity of the job. 
as I mentioned in the beginning, and having the opportunity to be involved in many, many different things um, uh, allows me to be satisfied with what I'm doing on a daily basis. But obviously, there's balance in this. You have to balance the, the work you have legislatively with the work back home. Uh, there's demands back home in terms of constituent work, and of course, the demands of family. And I think at this point in time, those things are something that I'm able to be able to manage and, and still serve my constituents well. Thank you. Let's turn to your thoughts on the budget. The House has turned over their response and approach to the spending plan for the Senate's review. What are your thoughts on the discussions in the weeks ahead? Uh, well, as you mentioned, the House had, um, as a Senate body, had developed a revenue package that responds to the need to have sufficient revenue to pay for the appropriations obligation we passed in July, which is a constitutional obligation. Uh, the House was able to return about 40 days later and offer what they believe is is, is a legitimate package to close. Um, and so at this point in time, we're taking a thorough review of it. One of the things that is very concerning to us in regards to what the revenue component needs to be is we not only have to be responsive to what the internal obligations of the Commonwealth are in relation to balancing the books, we have to also look at how outside parties see how we're managing our affairs because they affect not only the costs associated with running state government, but our ability to be attractive for investment. And there is a lot of interest right now in how Pennsylvania is going to solve its financial challenges, particularly from underwriters, bankers, and rating agencies, um, and have stipulated very specific requirements for us to consider in relation to this year's budget, that there needs to be recurring components of it, either recurring spending reductions or recurring, recurring revenue um, components of the budget in order for them to continue to allow us to have the rating that we have financially. And the House, that one one of the important components of the House plan is it, it does not consider that. It does not take it into account. And for me, that is very concerning because it's not only about what it may cost us in the short term. It's how the private sector especially institutional private sector investors will see Pennsylvania when we become the second most financially unstable jurisdiction in the country. Companies look at how the markets react to a place when they decide how to invest their money. Pennsylvania, is it going to be a place where you're going to lose money when you invest in it? Are you willing to put your, your capital at risk in Pennsylvania not knowing what decisions that the policy made makers may make that may affect you. And a downgrade by these rating agencies and the reactions by underwriters and bankers to that uh, could have dramatic effects on the future of Pennsylvania in attracting capital investment. That is the bigger picture. And we just can't just ignore the fact that there are outside parties that will put us in the second worst position nationwide after a place that has been unbelievably irresponsible in their finances. And that, in the House plan, has been just glossed over. So uh, we have to work out the details of what the components are, but that is a significant, significant component for me. What would you like to see happen, and what is your best prediction of what might actually take place? Well, I think, like anything else, it will have to be a mix. 
Um, what we're talking about is the revenue to close. We 174 members of the House. Uh, there was at least over 40 members of the Senate agreed to a spending plan. The question is, how do we close the finances, the revenue fund component of it, to balance it for this year? Um, and set us up for next year as well, so we have a balanced fiscal document going to 1819. And I believe it'll be a mix. I'm hopeful that I'll have recurring components to it. And we can consider one-time items, um, transfers and lapses, within a reasonable degree. We always do that. It's always a component of our budget. It's not a shadow exercise, as some people have said. We always look at other funds and, and lapses for availability, but it has to be a mix in order for us to have a stable financial position going forward. Um, it's hard for me to predict, predict at this point in time exactly what that'll be, but I know it won't be just the House plan, and it probably won't be exactly the Senate plan. It's gonna be something in the middle. My goal is to have something we can advance out of the building that we can actually project out in the marketplace and say, this is something that shows that Pennsylvania wants to be responsible financially going forward, not only this year, but projected into the future, so that we are a place that people want to invest. That's the, for me, that's the overall goal. Sure. So, based on the caveats you just mentioned, what do you think would be the timing? It's, it's hard to predict, but one thing that's in play right now, Rockland, you know this, and this is something that's very important to consider. Uh, because of financial decisions we've made in the past, which can be remedied based on what's on the table now, we are under a serious cash uh, cash crunch, I guess the best way to put it is. Uh, the general fund is running out of cash because of challenges as it relates to uh, projected revenue last year as opposed to what actually came in. The need for recurring revenue as a means of a, to of a total financial package. And because of that, the treasurer, for the first time, is trying to be a financial fiduciary, has said he's not going to give us short-term borrowing to bridge us through this. He's saying, like a banker would, you have no plan to pay for what you want to spend, so why should I borrow? Why should I give you more money to spend? Um, I think we'd experience that if we went for a loan in a bank anywhere outside the building. Right? So that's what he's doing. Um, so uh, payments are being missed right now. One of the payments that was presented last week for requisition and um, payment was the payments to our managed care organizations, some very significant payments. Um, as that builds up, they will. I think that will encourage action, and I'm hopeful that it will, because as long as you continue to build up payables, the financial position of your, your state is more at risk. That's what ultimately happened to Illinois, and now it's starting for us. Illinois had $14 billion in non-paid bills by the time they finally acted. We are now starting down that road. And if we don't close, these bills will, these bills will build up fast, because you know we have a $30 billion budget, right? Right. You get half a, half a budget year without a close, right. it can build up fast, and, and then uh, you, you get behind so far that your reaction has to be so drastic to clean it up. So hopefully that is you know, something on the table that will encourage sooner rather than later action. Let's uh, shift gears somewhat, because you mentioned a term that uh, we have worked on a number of years, a number of items, and that's economic development. So when you talk about economic development, you were the architect of the NIS, which is the Neighborhood Improvement Zone in Allentown, which transformed the once economically distressed city into a robust, vibrant community with a blossoming downtown. Now, the NIS led 
to the City Revitalization and Improvement Zone, the CRIS, which is meant to encourage the same kind of economic development for other struggling third-class cities. Of recent, these efforts have been slowed. Can you share your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I wanted to mention, which I always do, that any of these um, initiatives have been a team effort, um, and your firm has been a tremendous asset in regards to advancing these, uh, advocating for these, given the, the value you see in them. The Neighborhood Improvement Zone is something that is exclusively for Allentown, but it's structured to understand the challenges that almost every third-class city faces, and that is the ability to attract new investment. Um, and understanding that, that is, is, for some, very hard. That sometimes you have to look within your own region for reinvestment. So I've always seen the Neighborhood Improvement Zone uh, for a city in Allentown situation, which was uh, very, extremely challenged at the time this first went into place, and, and, and you know that, um, that it's also a community development program. Uh, the willingness of the local region to see the value in the city and to reinvest and to encourage that. And I think Allentown is not the only city that is in that circumstance, and it should be considered for others. The city revitalization improvement zone is more on the category of an economic development because we're talking purely prospective investment, right? And it was first placed in probably our two strongest communities, um, Bethlehem and Lancaster, the in the third in the medium-sized category who have identified challenges within their urban center, like all urban centers have, and this would be something that would encourage you forward. It's totally community-driven. It's not dictated from the centralized authority in Harrisburg. The locals decide what the uh, project is, how they invest it, who the components are, and that's why I believe if it's utilized, it'll work, because it's driven locally. Right now, it's slow because there's a difference in opinion as to the value of this in state government. And I, I will say it's a sincere difference as to what is best. Um, the administration tends to believe that economic development policy should work from the centralized authority and you decide how to distribute grants based on what you believe is right. We tend to believe that it's best for local communities to decide and generate the, the receipts locally and invest on the things they believe will know will work. In Allentown, that has worked so far. Um, I think the City Revitalization and Improvement Zones in Lancaster and Bethlehem will continue to improve as long as those stakeholders in state government that are involved in it promote it and advance it. And I think it can be a benefit to other communities as well. Um, but right now we do have a difference in opinion as to the value of it. And it's in, uh, I'm going to take it upon myself to continue to, to uh, defend this because I think it will work. Thank you. On general items, what do you think are the key issues of importance right now. I'm assuming the sustainability of a revenue package in the budget, uh, but not answering for you. So how about you give it a shot? Um, well, there is the short-term issue about closing. Uh, the biggest issue I see is really the long-term fiscal stability of the Commonwealth in relation to its finances. You have trend lines of, of expenditures that continue to grow faster than revenues, and it comes down to fundamentals. The risks that we have in relation to demographics, the growth of numbers of people who are in the older than 65 category senior citizens who are more likely to need services, the 
growth of individuals who would qualify for services for people with disabilities. These are expenditures that I believe the majority of the Commonwealth wants us to make, but is outstripping our ability to pay for it. And because of that, we're making tremendous sacrifices. Ten years of trying to meet these growing obligations that the majority of people uh, want us to do, and it will continue the future, into the future. And what sacrifices are we making for the future of the Commonwealth in doing that? Investments in education. Workforce development is by far the biggest thing as it relates to new investment. And how are we doing with our colleges? How are we doing with our K-12 through system? Uh, the facts are, right now in higher education, Pennsylvania is back to where it was in 1998. And we're going to outstrip our family's ability to afford it. Of the 50 most expensive colleges for in-state students, there's 11 that are in Pennsylvania. That is not a strategy for growth. Our financial circumstances don't think they that. So for me, that's the biggest challenge. We have to take on the long-term financial challenges of Pennsylvania to put it on a more sustainable path for our kids. Um, and that, that involves everything. That involves school finance. It involves our relationship with our higher, educa higher education institutions and our platforms for, for providing services uh, in human services, uh, which is by far... The, the area in our budget is going the fastest. And if we can do this comprehensively with a, a strategy for growth, uh, I think we can make some real progress. But it's, it's not easy. It's some, we have to make some big decisions very soon. You know, you mentioned higher education. And it doesn't matter a Democrat, Republican. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, which administration. But over the years, state-related have been held as leverage uh, in terms of a budget resolution. So they have their non-preferred appropriations. They get held until there's a budget deal, and then their specific non-preferreds are voted on. Is there a way to somehow have a overall policy on how this Commonwealth funds higher education whether it's state-related, whether it's the state system of higher education. But it, it appears to me that this Commonwealth really needs to take an in-depth look on how to fund higher education. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if you just look at our higher education assets, there's really no one that competes against us. We have by far the most diverse system of higher education and probably the, the most effective overall system of anywhere in the country. When you compare uh, state-related, state system schools, private, private higher education institutions. But just by that very nature, it makes them fragmented and difficult to finance um, and make sure that our, our children have access to them. Right now, we don't have a strategy as it relates to higher education in Pennsylvania. Um, and it is a part of our budget that we consider at the end just as a means of closing the final budget conversations, but it's never looked at where do we stand in relation to our kids' access to school and how is it a part of our overall strategy going forward? And I totally agree with you, Rocco. It has to be a more comprehensive look. Um, there's many of our, our schools in the state system that are experiencing tremendous financial stress? Do we make decisions over, as to whether they're going to be going concerns 
and how they relate to their local communities. And where do our large institutions, our world-class state-related institutions fit within Pennsylvania's budget conversations? Because there's no more powerful component of economic development for Pennsylvania than those institutions, the, the Penn States, the Pitts, the, the Temples um, of the world, so the Lincolns. Those are the, those are the places that we really have to look to leverage. But right now we don't. We just look at them as a means of, as you said, leverage to close a budget. They need to be more comprehensively included in where Pennsylvania's strategy is in the future. And we've been swirling about this for years. We need a long-term strategy for higher education, but it really hasn't come together um, in relation to our financial challenges going forward. It needs to be. Well, it's really interesting when you talk about higher education, specifically state-related. There are those in this building that have voiced that state-related should be privatized. They should be uh, private institutions, uh, not realizing, understanding that the state appropriation helps with the in-state student tuition. Uh, what are your thoughts about privatizing state-related? I want the, one of the things I would like to see us um, continue to advocate for is the ability of as many Pennsylvanians as possible to have access to the best institutions we have, our world-class institutions here in Pennsylvania. And without a commitment, of a financial commitment by the Commonwealth to these institutions, uh, the ability of, of just naturally, just based on costs and dollars and cents, the ability of many of our students to gain access to these is going to be affected. Like I said earlier on, Pennsylvania, in the top 50 most expensive, has 11 of them. And a lot of them are state-related institutions because we are where we were in financing these institutions 20 years ago. We've kind of said, well, we'll just take it out from there. Okay, That's a popular discretion over. And we'll worry about it tomorrow. We won't worry about where it fits in a long-term strategy. In the meantime, we're 20 years ago in financing these schools, and where we're going to be competitive for our kids in the future is their ability to gain access to those. And private sector companies constantly say that the strength and competency of the workforce is where things need to be in the future. And if we don't understand the value of state investment in those institutions for that reason, uh, we don't. And I'll just say it really clearly, this is just on higher ed, notwithstanding the pre-K through basic ed, through secondary education. We don't have a strategy for the future. We just don't. So we need to really look at that and change the way we do business in that regard. Thank you. That concludes our podcast, and I just want to say thank you. You've been involved in education, whether it's the uh, basic education funding formula. You really know the ins and outs of the budget from your background as a uh, tax attorney, CPA. So, again, thank you for your time. And we look forward in doing these podcasts periodically throughout the year so we can share unique and interesting perspectives from government leaders such as Senator Pat Brown and others who are dedicated to continually improving the lives of people living, working, and doing business here in the Commonwealth. Thanks again, Pat, and always great to talk with you. Thanks, Rocco. It's a pleasure. 